Good morning, everyone. How are you? Let's just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning and that we can come and and worship you in this place. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Soften our hearts. Teach us. Teach us what you would have us to, to learn from this passage this morning. And as we go from this place this morning, may we be a people that, that are not fearful, that are not timid. Um, pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. In your name, amen. Now, I don't know whether you've seen around the world, there's a, there's a number of tourist attractions around the world where they place glass walkways um, on on tourist attractions and and it's in in order to to make the tourist attraction you can see down the bottom if i point here this is all made from glass there's one in the in the um grand canyon in america and this particular one is is in the henan province in china um the idea here is to to give you a a 360 degree or 180 degree in this direction, in this this particular one, an opportunity to see the sights, to get the the full perspective of of the tourist attraction. In October 2015, last year, on this particular glass walkway, someone dropped a stainless steel mug on one of the the panes of glass. It obviously cracked and caused a mass exodus off the off the bridge. <laughs> Everyone thought that they were going to die, and so they they removed themselves very quickly from the uh, from the uh, the walkway. However, some people got so far in their their exit that they were so afraid that they couldn't move any further. They got so far and they couldn't move any further and they, they just froze up and couldn't go any further. They froze up and, and literally had to be dragged off the walkway. And it's a little bit like our Israelites in our passage in Deuteronomy chapter 1 this morning. They had gotten so far and yet one little thing that, that caused them to be afraid had um, had caused them to freeze up. As we continue to work our way through Deuteronomy, we see that, that Moses is recounting the time when the Lord told them to go into the, into the land that was promised to them. He, he was telling them to go into the land and, and to take possession of it. Deuteronomy begins with Moses giving one of his his last sermons and it's a sermon full of history, theology and it recounts the story of the time from God rescuing them from Egypt, bringing them through to the promised land and then it also includes the, the wilderness wanderings as well. And essentially Deuteronomy is a series of sermons given by Moses reminding the people over and over and over again about 
how faithful God has been for them and the things that he has done for them, the, the, the fighting and the rescuing and the great things that he has done for them. But also Moses rem- reminds them time and time again to be faithful to God as well, to be faithful to, to the laws that God has given them at Mount Sinai. And in this particular sermon, Moses tells of the movements of the previous generations. He's giving the sermon in, in Deuteronomy and telling back about what happened 40 years beforehand. The, the people of Israelite, people of Israel had moved from Horeb to almost to the cusp of the promised land. And God had directed them to go in and take possession of the land. And they're on the, the southern border of the land of Canaan at Kadesh Barnea. And if you will, we're just going to have a look at the, the real time, the actual account of this um, particular circumstance in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. If you want to turn there with me, um, that would be fantastic. Reading from verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to send out the land, send, I'll start again. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, for which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, each one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. I won't list off all their names because I'm sure to get them wrong. But I want you to just point out verses 6 and 8. Two guys, Caleb the son of Jephunneh from the tribe of Judah. And in verse 8, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, or also known as Joshua, the son of Nun. Reading on from verse 27. And they, they told him, that is the guys, the 12 men that, that went in to spy out the land. They spent 40 days spying out the land and they brought back some, some fruit of the land. They brought back a, a fruit, a, a bunch of grapes. Um, and it took two of the, two of the men to, to carry this bunch of grapes. Um, I thought if they, if they didn't bring back this bunch of grapes, maybe the Israelites wouldn't have whined so much. Oh, goodness. That came to me this morning. <laughs> Verse 27. And they told him, the, the 12 men, they told him, We came to the land in which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites, Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that that we saw in it are are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly great land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Did you notice something something pretty small at the start of each of those passages that we've read this morning? There's a, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between who actually chooses the 12 men to try, spy out the land. In Numbers, it's God says. God says, go and send men in to spy out the land. However, in Deuteronomy, it's Moses says. Moses said that the people came to him and, and that he was to spy out the, spy out the land. And it could be possible that as, as time wears on, remember there's, there's 40 years between Numbers and Deuteronomy. As time wears on, Moses decided that Perhaps he wasn't in the will of God to start with in Numbers. Perhaps that it wasn't God's idea. Perhaps it was Moses' idea to send men in to, to spy out the land. And the outcome of the, the mission would, would reinforce this, I think. But one thing that really strikes me is that in both of these accounts... The people are told to not be afraid, to not fear. In verses 21 and 29 there that you see on the board, um, Moses tells the people to not be afraid. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. 
Verse 29, then I said to to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. What's our first response when, when someone tells us, don't be afraid? Generally, we, we say to ourselves, what is there to be afraid of? Um, I had a teaching opportunity the, the other day. I don't know how well you can see that, but I was mowing the grass on my day off last week, as I love to do. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught a legless lizard. I saw a legless lizard. Now, the top photo on the right-hand side is a legless lizard. This is not something that Australian men make up to scare their daughters. But I saw this as a teaching opportunity. Uh, the bottom photo is a snake, okay? So you can see that they're very similar in, in appearance. I saw this as a teaching opportunity, and Leanna, was my youngest daughter, was on the, on the trampoline at the time, and... I said, Leanna, Leanna, come here, come here. Uh, of course, I turned the mower off, workplace health and safety. And, and I, I said, Leanna, Leanna, come here, come here. So she jumps off the trampoline, starts walking towards me as a, as a little six-year-old does. And before she got there, I said, now don't be afraid, but there's a legless lizard here. And her walk turned into this. Our immediate response is, what's there to be afraid of if, if someone tells us don't be afraid? And this, this phrase is, is used hundreds of times in the Bible. It's either do not be afraid or do not fear. And it comes from angels of the Lord to the people or, or people to people. And when this phrase is used, it's usually followed up with uh, why. Why the people don't have to be afraid or the, the people that it's addressed to. Why they don't have to be afraid. And in verse 30 and 31 of Deuteronomy chapter 1, we can see that Moses says why the Israelites don't have to be afraid. He says, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. And in Numbers chapter 14 verse 9, Joshua says to the people, don't be afraid. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. You see, Moses and Joshua both tell the Israelites why they don't have to be afraid. Moses now tells this and retells this new generation that it will be just the same as the last 40 years where where God has rescued them, where God has fought for them, protected them in the wilderness and provided for them with with manna from heaven, quail. And and Joshua says that the the people of the land have had their, their protection removed from them and that God is with the Israelites. 
Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. Like, fear is not a bad thing. Sometimes fear can be a good thing when it's directed at the right kind of thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, says Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And fear can be a great motivator. Just think back to the, the glass walkway. Um, fear motivated those people to, to get the heck out of there. And it was the fear of falling a thousand feet to their horrible death that, that kept them safe. Fear can keep us safe. But what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is not a valid fear that the Israelites had. The fear that took over them got in the way of their relationship with God. It, it removed their trust in God. And their fear took them from a place of not just fear, but deceiving themselves as well. It morphed into a place, it morphed into a, into a fear that they were thinking about God has brought us out into this place to, to kill us, which certainly wasn't the case. And we can always, like us, we can all be guilty of this from time to time, can't we? If God takes us from a place of our comfort and he, he just pushes us a little bit, he stretches us a little bit, Sometimes we can let our thoughts and our, our um, thinking progress and morph into, into more than just being uncomfortable. It can stop us from moving forward. Fear is always followed by a but or a however. I'm not trying to be rude here. But fear is followed by a big but. Just have a look at, at verse 28 in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It says, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. The people are saying, But... The cities are fortified, but the people are very tall, but we are not able to do this. And in chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 28, however, however the people are, uh, who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and we can't do this. But however... All of us do it. I do it. If God asks me to do something sometimes, I, I say, but God, I'm not sure I'm equipped well enough to do that. And you might have heard some of these excuses in your own head. But God, what if, what if I'm not good enough? But God, what if people don't like me? But God, I'm not old enough. But God, I'm too old. But God, I can't speak that well. But God, I'm scared. 
Even Moses did this. When God came to him in the burning bush, he said, but God, I can't speak that well. Send my brother Aaron. And this is what the Israelites have done. They've, they've basically said, but God, these people are too good, are too big for us. The, the cities are fortified and we can't do it. But their fear has gone on to, to something more than just fear. It's gone on to disobedience as well. Bear with me here just for a little bit, but there's two historical covenants at work here throughout the course of Genesis to where we are now in Deuteronomy. There's, there's two historical covenants that, that are, are playing out. And these two historical covenants um, relate to three things that the Israelites will become a people, that they will inherit the land, and that Yahweh, or God, will be their God. The first one that I'm specifically talking about now is the Abrahamic covenant. Obviously, it was because it was given to Abraham. And it's Genesis chapter 17. And in this in this covenant, God gives a specific promise to Abraham to turn him and his descendants into a nation where kings will come from them and that the people will be just numerous. And then the second thing was that, that, that he would be given the land that he was a foreigner in, that is the land of Canaan. And the third thing was that he was to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. The second covenant that is playing out here is called the Sinai Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant because it was given to Moses. And it's where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on the Mount of Sinai. Where the Abrahamic Covenant on one hand was a a covenant that was unconditional. The Sinai Covenant is conditional. It required the people to be obedient and to listen to God's voice and to trust him in order for them to continue being his people. And the the covenant was based upon the people being obedient in order to show God their worship. They had been rescued by God initially, called his people... But then in order for the covenant to continue, it required them to be faithful to God 100%. It required them to continually trust God and obey. And it's found in Exodus chapter 19. It's God speaking to Moses. I'm going to read verse 4, 5 and 6 there in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. But unfortunately, the people rebelled, as we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They reneged on their end of the bargain. 
They weren't obedient. They breached the covenant. They were at first afraid at the idea of going in and possessing this land, but then they, they grumbled and murmured and complained and whined against God and against Moses. They weren't just disobedient, they weren't just fearful, but they made up lies about how God was treating them. They started to say that God had brought them out into this wilderness to kill them. Now, remember they were in slavery in Egypt, and yet they're deceiving themselves. They were working seven days a week, hard as nails, working probably from dawn till dusk, And yet they say to themselves, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt than to be brought out into this land. You see, their fear had taken them from a place of not wanting to move forward to a place where they were being disobedient to God. And not only that, but they were making up stories and deceiving themselves about what was really going on about how God was treating them. Now, each one of us is afraid of something. Some of us are afraid of snakes. I think the only good snake is a dead snake. (laughs) Some of us are afraid of hairy little spiders. Some of us are afraid of the fear of heights or the fear of falling, as it's also known. Some of us are afraid of public speaking. Some of us are afraid of flying. Whatever it might be, we're all afraid of something, aren't we? I want to ask you this morning, what are you afraid of in terms of your spiritual life? I want you to think about that this this morning. I want you to think of what you're afraid of in your spiritual life. I'm going to throw some suggestions out there. Maybe you're afraid of, of God taking away some area of your life which you consider quite fun or, or great to have and yet God considers it not beneficial. Or maybe you're afraid that one day as a Christian... You might experience severe persecution and have to take a stand for God and that that might cost you your life. And that on that day that you might be alone. Or maybe you're afraid that God will open up more and more opportunities for you to share your faith with with your neighbours or with people around you or your friends and that you might not know what to say or you might be fearful that you will say the wrong thing or maybe you're afraid that that God is is pushing you to be more and more involved in an area of ministry that takes you outside of your comfort zone or maybe you're afraid that God will challenge you to be more and more committed in an area of your spiritual life in terms of prayer or ministry or mentoring someone um, younger in the faith or showing love and kindness to someone who you find hard to love. 
No matter what the case, we're all afraid of something, both, both tangible and spiritual. I want you to think of how our situation at the moment as the people of God here in North Pine Baptist Church is similar to the Deuteronomy Israelites on the cusp of the promised land. Both of us have been rescued by God. The Israelites in a physical way from slavery, us in a spiritual way by the blood of Jesus Christ. Both of us have been set free from slavery. The Israelites, again, in a a physical kind of way, but the the Israelites, uh, us, in a, a spiritual kind of way. And both of us have seen God's working. The Israelites with their own eyes and hearing it from the previous generations. Us, we've heard it through the Bible. Both of us have been given clear directions of what to do. The Israelites were given clear directions of go in and take the promised land. We've been given clear directions to make disciples. How does our circumstances differ to that of the Israelites? I just mentioned Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Our circumstances differ in the way that the Israelites were told to go in and take possession of a land and fight against giants and trust God for that. All we've been told to do is to make disciples, to baptise them. I don't want to downplay that. That is still a big ask, but it's not as big as fighting against giants and possessing a land. We've been given the task of making disciples, of sharing our faith, and to trust God that he will be with us. Did you see that last little bit in in Matthew 28, verse 20 there? And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Friends, we belong to a faith that is historical. We've seen that here in Deuteronomy this morning. It's not only the Israelites that have history, but we have history with God. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and that through endurance and through encouragement, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I believe that that we as a church at the moment are at somewhat of a a crossroads or a boundary of a promised land. The Israelites had to go in and, and take the land that was before them. They had to go in and obey God for for that land. They had to trust him for that land. Trust God that he would fight for them. But instead they were afraid and they they missed out the opportunity. 
and they were sent back into the wilderness to wander around aimlessly for 40 years until that generation died out. God has given us specific instructions as well. And I I hate to think that if we are not obedient, what will happen? Will we be a, a church or a people that that ends up wandering aimlessly for the next 40 years. That's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? It's no good me standing up here and pointing out that we're all afraid of something. It's no good me standing up here and saying we need to change. What's our our action plan? What are we going to put into place to, to change? I think our first action should be to pray. To pray and seek God. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God desires us to to pray, to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, to recognise that we can't do this alone, that we've got to have God on our side in order to, to accomplish the things of God. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious or do not fear about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties or your fears on him because he cares for you. Friends, we can't change without God's help. You remember that our natural response is to be afraid. Sometimes even when there's nothing to be afraid of. So we need to ask God to, to, to seek God and ask Him to fight for us metaphorically. And the best way to do this is through prayer. Let's pray for our, ourselves, our families, our church family members. Let's pray for our ministries. At the upcoming family fun day, our services on a Sunday. Let's pray for crazy things like the front sign out, out on the road. That that would make an impact into this community. And let's seek God and let Him show us where we would have, where He would have us go. But again, I, I, point out that we cannot do this alone we need to go in the power that Jesus Christ has given us we need to go with his spirit indwelling in us because if we do things on our own it is destined to fail but if we go in the power that is, has been given to us on this very day back in Acts chapter 2 Pentecost Sunday 
If we go with that in mind, then great things can happen. Not so that we can get the glory, but that God can get the glory. And this particular fear is not a fear of... uh, Sorry, this particular spirit is not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity. For God gave us his spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He gave us a spirit of boldness. And Timothy, uh, Paul continues to Timothy and he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The last thing that we need to do after we pray and seek God's face is that we need to be obedient. We need to go where God would have us go. It's no good getting to the point where we're all fired up and then we don't do anything more. We need to be seeking God through prayer and then we need to be obedient We need to be willing to go into this promised land that's set before us and take possession of us, of it. Friends, we follow Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. Let's not let our fear get in the way of of following Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, who has, has accomplished great things for God. On our, on our behalf. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, can, is there, they're holding back, is there anything that he would hold back from, from working within us and through us? Let's pray. Father God, sometimes we are fearful. Sometimes we are a people that are afraid. Just like the Israelites. And yet time and time again you persevere with us. You have great patience for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not be fearful. That you would help us to, to absorb your spirit, to take on that spirit of, of not being afraid. Lord, that we would be a people that that move forward with you fighting on our side. So Lord, I just pray that, that as we seek your face, as we seek where you would have us go, I pray that you would fill us with the boldness that comes only from you. Lord, help us to be a people that go out in in the spirit of of Jesus Christ, in the spirit of, of following you with our whole hearts. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen.